everybody welcome back to exploring the lord of the rings this is session number 260 as we creep ever closer to the end of chapter three of book two the ring has been going south for an awfully long time at this point but we are getting we are getting close and tonight we get to see more fun Boromir. But uh, speaking of fun, this past weekend at Texmoot, whew, what an adventure we had at Texmoot. We had a wonderful time. It was a great conference. We had excellent presentations, did lots of thinking about uh, fantasy languages and constructed languages. We did lots of linguistics talk. Um, uh, we had Evil Dr. Cannon, uh, uh, along with Chad Bornhalt, um, led a wonderful session, uh, an introduction to writing in Tengwar, uh, which is great. And I will, I will say, like, I, uh, Tolkien's writing systems is one of the things that I've never spent time on myself. Um, so, like, I will, I will admit that I had never actually learned to write Tengwar before, but... Matt and Chad taught me how to write Tengmar in only an hour. Well, an hour plus the uh, time we spent at the sports bar afterwards practicing, which was pretty funny because we were we, we walked over to this local sports bar, which was right right across the parking lot from uh, the venue where we were having Texmoot and we we're having dinner together there. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like this sports bar with, you know, uh, five different sports playing on 15 different screens and scantily clad waitresses running around and we're all clustered in the corner like writing Tengwar notes and holding them up to quiz each other and everything it was uh deeply nerdy over in that uh in that side of the in that side of the bar um hey jack yeah it's true it's true <laughs> jack was very generous in sharing his reference sheet with me uh yeah no it's been um it's been awesome we did um um we did uh, 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 a lot of a lot of good work, and I still remember most of it. I think, um, but no, it's been it's been fantastic. Uh, so anyway, uh, TextMoot was great, and as I say, it was very adventurous. We actually uh, lost internet connection uh, about two thirds of the way through the day, um, and of course, it's a hybrid moot, so we're simultaneously broadcasting to a whole bunch of people, you know, a couple dozen people who had joined us uh, on Zoom. And not only did we continue with the conference, but we actually continued to broadcast it to uh, the remote folks, even without an internet connection through some creativity and uh, <laughs> lots of uh, lots of uh, uh, <laughs> creativity and and stick to itiveness on the part of the attendees. Um, so it was uh, it was fun. We did uh, we did um, uh, we. We did good work and we got through it all. So it's been it's been cool. Uh, we, we had a we had a wonderful time. Always great uh, to see our friends at Texmoot every year. Uh, already thinking about next year's Texmoot. Thinking about migrating back up towards Dallas next year. So we'll uh, we'll see we'll see we'll see what we can do. But anyway, Texmoot was great. Looking forward now. Our next moot is Maple Moot in Toronto. So we're going to be in Canada for our first ever Canadian moot. 
very exciting. I'm already actually talking with some folks about the possibility of doing a second Maple Moot over in Alberta, which would be pretty cool. So anyway, uh, I'm I'm excited. Uh, Toronto Maple Moot. I've never been to Toronto. I've been uh, I've been many. Uh, fine places, many fine cities in Canada, but I've never actually been to Toronto before. So, um, anyhow, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty cool. So Maple Moot in Toronto, the 20th of May. So we are just under a month away from Maple Moot. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, more upcoming moot fun. And of course we, uh, we have myth moot coming up our big annual conference, uh, in the last weekend in June. Uh, so definitely look into myth moot, the big, big event. Um, and, uh, dizzy word on the street is we're thinking about coming back to Australia next year. So that should be great fun. Um, oh man, uh, moot in Hawaii. That would be, uh, that would be pretty cool. Maybe we'll meet. I don't know if it's halfway. Uh, Dizzy might be pretty close, actually, to halfway between you and us. Um, but yeah, rumor is we might be able to get Osmoot 2 going on uh, perhaps as soon as next year. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, lots of fun discussions. It's always it's always fun. Uh, the moot planning process and the the perspective of what's uh, what's what's coming up um and speaking of what's coming up last quick announcement i want to do i want to i mentioned this before but i want to mention it again because we're having a big huge special that i want like people to be able to take advantage of our signum academy clubs program so this is our our program which is like space but it's for uh it's for uh kids from basically grades three through high school um and we're doing book in japanese latin old english um, all kinds of things going on in our clubs program. My son is really excited about Japanese club. Um, anyway, so, but here's the deal. Uh, we're giving away free tokens that can be used in May. So it's like, it's a hundred dollar value and anybody you refer, like everyone who is listening to this can refer people to clubs and you get a free token. Um, so anybody who wants to participate can participate for free in the month of May. Uh, so if you just, all they have to do is go to Blackberry. So this is blackberry.signumuniversity.org. Uh, create an account. You just have just any email uh, to create a login. Uh, then you go to the clubs page here. Um, and then you click on the fa family management button. And this is where you can add a line. See, I've added a line for my kid here. This is my son. And then you can go and vote. So then you go to available clubs and here's the list of all of the, of all the clubs. We've got some of, we got four awesome book clubs, including a Narnia club, a Lord of the Rings club, a Hobbit book club, and another general, uh, um, uh, middle school club where they're reading like, how to train your dragon by Cressida Cowell. Such a good book. Um, we've got a creative writing club. We've got our conversation club. Uh, and Old English and Latin translation clubs. And you'll see that underneath it, there's, there's, a, there's a, a bar here that shows your kid that you registered in the family registration thing. And then you can just vote. See, so I've got two votes going on here for Matthias. He's voting. He's going to Japanese club. Um, uh, so yeah, really, really fun stuff. So uh, the program is this is this is an awesome program. My son's been in it for two years. He's been loving. He's learned old English. Um, so you know he's a he's a freshman in high school and can translate Beowulf. It's pretty cool. Um, so he's been loving that, and now he's gonna uh, learn some Chinese. Uh, so yeah, this is, um, April. That's a really great question. We do have some printables that you can handle library patrons. Um, 
I know at the very least we have uh, one that will that gives this information about our May promotion. Um, yeah, so April, uh, send an email if you if you don't mind. Send an email to academy at signumu.org, uh, and they can get you something that you can put in a library. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, anyhow, yeah, so any kid that you want to recommend, any kid that you know, uh, might be your kid, might be somebody else's kid, might be a niece or nephew or a grandkid, um, uh, get them in and we can, uh, they can experiment, they can, they can see what Clubs is all about. As I said, it's a $100 value that we're giving away to anybody who wants it. Uh, coming up here. So uh, just go ahead and you can uh, uh, send, you can send this link. Uh, they should be able to access this, you know, uh, in a m most of these pages, not the family management page, which you have to have an account to do. Um, but um, anyway, um, so um, uh, yeah, just wanted to make sure to get that out there because it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Oh yeah. And here's our learn everywhere page. This is of course, you have to live in New Hampshire. For this to count, but if you do know high school kids in New Hampshire, they can actually get official school credit uh, for being in our clubs because we're registered for the New Hampshire Learn Everywhere program, which is pretty cool. Uh, so my 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 son is actually going to be handing in his uh, old English credit, mostly because it's going to look awesome on his transcript. <laughs> awesome in the sense of like awesome from a geeky perspective, right? Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. That is what is going on at Club. So definitely check that out. Really exciting things happening there. Um, and uh, as I say, there's no obligation and no cost. It's just we just want to open the doors and let people try out clubs. So that's what's happening here in May and June. Um, and uh, I encourage you to get folks to check that out. Um, okay. Let us return to the text. So... You'll remember that um, Legolas has just come back, right? And he just finished s explaining um, that uh, about the wall of snow, right? And how further down it is uh, nothing but a white coverlet to cool a hobbit's toes. Um, and then Gimli comments on this. Ah, it is as I said, growled Gimli. It was no ordinary storm. It is the ill will of Karathras. He does not love elves and dwarves, and that drift was laid to cut off our escape. But happily, your Karathras has forgotten that you have men with you, said Boromir, who came up at that moment, and doughty men too, if I may say it, though lesser men with spades might have served you better. Still, we have thrust a lane through the drift, and for, for that all here may be grateful, who cannot run as light as elves. But how are we to get down there? Even if you have cut through the drift, said Pippin, voicing the thought of all the hobbits. Have hope, said Boromir. I am weary, but I still have some strength left, and Aragorn too. We will bear the little folk. The others, no doubt, will make shift to tread the path behind us. Come, Master Peregrine, I will begin with you. He lifted up the hobbit. Cling to my back. I shall need my arms, he said, and strode forward. Aragorn with Merry came behind. Pippin marveled at his strength, seeing the passage that he had already forced with no other tool than his great limbs. Even now, burdened as he was, he was widening the track for those who followed, thrusting the snow aside as he went. Okay. Um, <laughs> JJ says, is Aragorn getting voluntold by Boromir? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. Though, I, you know, I would 
say that this is that's an interesting piece of um, a sort of reciprocity on Boromir's part, right? Remember the movement that Aragorn made. Let us forth a, force a path thither, you and I, right? Um, leaping forward in solidarity, supporting, you know, Im- instantly supporting Boromir's suggestion um, and being behind him, right? Both in the sense of supporting him and his initiative, but also physically being behind, letting Boromir go first, right? Aragorn not being too proud, either to take Boromir's suggestion, a less humble person than Aragorn might have bristled, right, at Boromir putting himself forward, right? Boromir uh, kind of taking charge and, and, uh, uh, and, and you know, su- suggesting and implementing a plan like that. But Aragorn did not, right? Um, and nor did he, you know, insist that, like, he be the one who go first or anything like that, right? Um, and now we see from Boromir towards Aragorn, his mentioning Aragorn by name is generous, inclusive, just as Aragorn first let him go first and didn't try to, you know, seize the glory or take the, you know, redirect the glory towards himself or something like that. Um, So now Boromir does not choose to boast on this, right? He doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't try to make himself out to be the hero exactly. Um, and he, you know, when he, when he mentions Aragorn, um, he mentions Aragorn in order to say that Aragorn also has some strength left, right? You know, that, uh, um, you know, he and Aragorn are in the same position. He's not trying to, um, you know, he's, he's not, he's not trying to play the hero. So anyway, I, that's both of them, I think are performing, really well, really impressively here in this moment. But let's go back for a second. Um, let's go back for a second to the to the beginning, to the start of this passage here. Gimli comments. Now, this is Gimli commenting in response to Legolas, right, um, who has been descri- was describing the rather unnatural looking snowdrift, right? The or uh, rather the quite um, noticeable concentration of the snow in their immediate area, right? I mean, it's one thing, it's one thing for there to be a, you know, some kind of microburst, right? Uh, but, but I can tell you, I have never in my entire life seen a snowstorm in which, you know, three, four feet of snow has fallen, but less than half a mile away, there's, you know, under an inch, there's just like a barely a covering of snow. That's seriously weird. That is very, very, very concentrated. Um, not saying it could never happen, but it's very, very unusual. And then especially the way that the drift um, uh, looks as if it were made to cut off their escape, as Gimli is saying here. Gimli has already been asserting that the will of Karathras is involved here. Gimli has been the main spokesperson for that idea. The, the the possibility has been has been out there, right? Um, has been um, like, for instance, when you know, let those call it the wind who will. Remember that that passage, and then Aragorn saying, "I do call it the wind," but you know, you're not wrong, right? Um, 
notice that, you know, Aragorn was not saying, you know, Karathras is against us. We are fighting against the mountain. There is a malevolent, there is actually a malevolent spirit in this mountain. This is not some kind of superstition. This is not just some kind of figure of speech, which it sort of sounds like it could be. Right. I mean, like that would be one way to understand. Not everybody would necessarily necessarily believe, along with Gimli, that the mountain actually has malicious feelings towards them in some way. Right. Again, several things that have been said. Aragorn's comment about it being the wind and yet actually being fell voices. Gandalf's remark that um, Sauron's power has grown and like and he has many. And, and, you know, and he has many, many allies, you know, that whole exchange. Also, Gandalf left open the possibility that, in fact, uh, there is an entity at work here. Um, but that's not the primary way in which Gandalf was ever talking about it. Right. When he was talking about the weather, it sounded like he was talking about winter weather. He didn't, you know, he, you know, neither Gandalf nor nor um nor Aragorn. We're talking in terms of like, you know, we've got to go up and fight the mountain, right? In order to, in order to, to get across. But Gimli has been the one who has been quite firm, pretty close to from the beginning, um, that there is something about Karathras. Karathras had an evil name. He's heard stories about Karathras. The dwarves still recall stories um, that Karathras is just a cantankerous mountain. Um, and he's been getting more and more confident in his statements in that regard. Almost as if, it seems to me, Gimli himself is becoming more and more convinced of this, right? Remember, he's never been here before. Gimli doesn't have any personal experience in this area. What he does have is stories, right? He knows stories and songs of this area, of these mountains. We know how this region looms in their dreams, right? Um... But uh, even that implication that he himself has dreamed of it, uh, right? You know, that he's never seen this place before in waking life, remember? So he's heard all these stories. And it seems that what Gimli is doing progressively over the course of this scene is fitting in his actual lived experience that he's in the middle of right here with those stories that he's heard, right? Um, and has become progressively more convinced that... This is totally a thing uh, that Karathras is conscious and that Karathras is set against them. And this he takes and points to explicitly as evidence to support his assertions. It is as I said, he begins. Ah, it is as I said. This confirms what I've been saying. It was no ordinary storm. It was the ill will of Karathras. He's now making these, these categorical declarations. It is the ill will of Karathras. Now, and then some more of the lore, right, that he, that he has taken from the stories and songs that he's heard. He does not love elves and dwarves, and that drift was laid to cut off our escape. Why does he mention elves and dwarves? Well, because they're the relevant ones, right? Dwarves, obviously, because it was, this was Khazad Doom, right? So uh, he would have heard most of the stories, presumably, that Gimli knows were about Karathras's dislike of dwarves. 
And of course, the elves live nearby, right? Um, uh, you know, the uh, the 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 um, Lothlorien is right there, and we know we already know that the elves go over this pass all the time. This is the, you know, the main route between Rivendell and Lothlorien. So, and not that they necessarily are commuting in that direction all the time, um, but we know that we just saw the, you know, the the spies who took the longest route, um, you know, uh, go over this pass to go and visit Lothlorien. Um, so yeah, exactly, Aspen. The stories he will have heard will be about uh, about elves and dwarves. Um, now, Bjorning, I agree with you. Eldon and Elro here, as far as we can tell, had no trouble. Um, and Legolas does not seem very concerned, as we were discussing last week. Um, so the elves don't seem to share exactly the same opinion, but I agree with you, Aranas, that the fact that they had no trouble doesn't prove that the mountain doesn't have a problem with them. Um, and it also, it simply could be capricious. I mean, like, so for instance, another, the comparison that I've made a couple times before, um, the parallel that I think we're, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say we're invited to make it. It's not really forced upon us, the parallel. Um, but I think the parallel is there to be made between Carothros and Old Man Willow, right? A um, cantankerous old feature of the landscape right in the middle of their path, which is attempting to bring them in to their own deaths, right? Just because they passed were apparently passing by. Um, yeah, some kind of hostile spirit of nature in that way, Bjorning. Absolutely. I mean, we've, ar we've already seen that. We have experience with that. And as I say, there are certain parallels between those two scenes. But of course, the fact that Old Man Willow is real and is really there and is really malicious doesn't mean no one has ever come into or even passed through the old forest without being ensnared by Old Man Willow, right? Um, he might, you know, be more or less active at certain times. Who knows the rationale? Maybe there, if there is a rationale, right, between when Karathros says no and when Karathros, um, you know, doesn't care, right? Um, was it, was there something about Eladon and Elro here that allowed them to pass? Um, you know, do they, um, uh, you know, is it, is it a reflection of their own power that Karathros decided not to mess with them? Was it instead the other way around? Uh, you know, d d were they just insignificant and Karathras couldn't be bothered, right, with those two random elves uh, who were crossing over the mountains? Um, uh, this, of course, is one of the questions. And this is one of the first places, I think. Is that true? I think it is true. This is one of the first places where we are invited to wonder, well, the Barrow might be another place, come to think of it. Um, but, let me finish my sentence. One of the first places where we are invited to wonder, are these things happening just because, like, are these, is this just another instance of dangers that people would face in the wide world? Or does it have something to do with the ring, with Frodo's quest, right? Is it a coincidence? that this is happening here. And remember that wondering, that speculation. When Gimli was talking about, you know, the long arm of Sauron, right? And, and doubting, Gimli was doubting that Sauron's arm stretched quite as long as, uh, as this, right? Um, 
But you have to wonder, right? When something like this happens, why is this happening? Is it a fluke? Did they just happen to get unlucky with the weather? Maybe. Maybe it's just chance. It's possible. Can't rule it out. Um, is Did they just catch Karathros on a bad day? Was Karathros feeling particularly froward on this day and would have assaulted any party that was trying to cross over the pass on this particular day with snowstorms? Maybe. Can't rule it out. Wouldn't be out of character, Gimli says, right? Um, is it, or is it possible that Karathras is in league with Sauron and Sauron has made an ally of the dark spirit of this mountain and it is sensing somehow the presence of the ring and is trying to entrap them. Um, is it possible that there's one in between the last two, right? That it's, uh, that Karathras is not in league with Sauron, but is, but it's also not a coincidence, right? Or also not just a random bad day, uh, you know, a random grumpy spell by Karathras, but rather, um, is there something about the presence of the ring that has roused Karathras to action, right? Um, uh, possibly, possibly, right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't know, and neither does the company. And there will be a number of places where they're going to be guessing or just wondering, right? Um, and no one will really know the answer to this question. But it's a question which we will be asking, I think, on multiple occasions here. Gimli, at least, is convinced that what, whichever explanation might be true of this phenomenon option number one that this is just a fluke snowstorm and they got unlucky is certainly not true right um, Karathras does not love elves and dwarves and that drift was laid to cut off our escape he sees in this a clear a clear pattern a clear and deliberate attempt to trap and murder them on the part of the mountain um and Boromir then points out, Happily, your Karathras has forgotten that you have men with you, said Boromir, and doughty men too, if I may say it, though lesser men with spades might have served you better. So Boromir takes Gimli's statement as a transition. Now, notice how he is... Um, uh, Notice how he is building off what Gimli has said. On the one hand, what he offers is hope, right? Um, here is Gimli saying, the mountain is set against us. There is an evil will in this mountain that is trying to murder us. And Boromir's response is, but it isn't working, right? But unfortunately, he failed. We are thwarting, or even have thwarted, the mountain. Um, but he doesn't do so in such a way. Or rather, in doing so, he doesn't throw any shade at Gimli, right? He doesn't question it. He doesn't doubt it. 
he could have come up and said something like, you know, well, uh, if your Karathras were like as frightening as all that, then, uh, you know, like we wouldn't have been able to, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like he could have done something to call into question or, or to minimize that. And that, by the way, might have been a motivating thing to do. Right. Um, Gimli's growling here may be understandable. Gimli is afraid as well as the hobbits are. But it's not very wise from a company morale perspective, right? Um, if people listen too much to Gimli right now, it's going to be fairly discouraging, right? Um, and Boromir is immediately speaking against that, right? Um, is encouraging them, giving them confidence. Um, that um, Giving them confidence that they are able to, that they're able to escape, right? But again, he does so without, um, without doubting Gimli, without uh, questioning that. Um, and he does so by boasting, not only on his own behalf, on Aragorn's behalf as well, right? Um, but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting boast, right? Um, and doughty men too. Doughty is a wonderful word, as uh, uh, one of you were saying before. Um, doughty men too, if I may say it, though lesser men with spades might have served you better. Um, I um, <laughs> I've always loved that line. Um, we were um, we were joking about that in the snow this year. Um, that is to say that you know when we were clearing the snow, some of you may have seen the picture of my uh, uh, dog trying to go outside in the snow when the snow was about three times taller than she was, um, and um, uh, you know people were asking me if if uh if there were lesser men with spades you know who had uh who had uh, dug the 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 tunnel for pixie there which is which is true uh we were short of doughty men but we did have lesser men with spades at the very least um but um a spade does seem pretty inefficient emily well you know this was before the invention of the specialized snow shovel of course um but um if you imagine doing what boromir just did that is to say, forcing your own body through the snow and pushing it out of the way with your own arms. The idea of somebody handing you a shovel or a spade, right, and saying, would you like to use this instead? Oh, man, <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, he... His brag, right... Um, first, that they are overcoming Karathras, right? Happily, your Karathras has forgotten that you have men with you. If Karathras believes that he has cut off our escape, he was wrong, right? Um, we have we have proven Karathras wrong, uh, and that because you have uh, you have men with you. And by the way, um, 
Notice how this also relates to there's there's a certain um, he alludes at the end of this paragraph through um, you know for all for that all here may be grateful who cannot run as light as elves right that is he acknowledges Legolas doesn't need their help to escape right Legolas was would escape trivially right with no problems here at all. Um, but notice also if they had had nothing but elves and dwarves with them they would still have been screwed even though um, you know the elf would not have been trapped Legolas might not be trapped but he also would not be able to help much either right um it's not at all clear that Legolas could have made a path for the rest of them. And I don't think that, like his ability to run lightly over the snow. I don't know that he could have carried everybody else out over the snow. Um, so it's not really clear that Legolas, despite his own ability uh, to escape, um, it's not at all clear that he would have been able to, rescue everybody else. True, JJ, uh, with the possible exception of being set on fire, right, in that case. Had he been lit like a torch, he possibly might have contributed something helpful to the rest of the party. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, Amorea, I agree, um, and with Bjorning, that he he's keeping the tone light, Boromir is. And Amorea, as you said, um, that he's pulling Gimli back from his fear. And not only pulling Gimli back, but he's he is um, publicly and rather dramatically with his timing, right, um, rebutting the concern of Gimli, right? It may not be an ordinary storm. Maybe the ill will of Karathras is in fact set against us, but that's okay, because here we are. Um, you have men with you. Notice, by the way, that sort of the broader implication of that, the very, um, you know, mixed nature of the company helps them here. Um, if they had been just a group of hobbits, they'd have been in trouble. Had it just been elves and dwarves, they'd have been in trouble, right? But because they have, and of course this won't be the only time uh, that having one of one or other of them with them is going to be handy, right? Um, today it was the men with their with their sort of larger physical stature uh, and strength that has enabled them to break through the snow and to escape from this particular trap. But, you know, there will be other days when it will be other sort of things. So exactly Bjorning, the Nine Walkers representing um, all free peoples. We can see that, that there was, it was not just a fun publicity move, right? It was not just a, a kind of morale booster for everybody else. Um, there seem to be also practical reasons why it's a good idea for, um, uh, for them to be a mixed group um, like this. Um, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, Bob, I agree. Um, having an end in the party would have been handy also at this time. I, I think you're probably right about this. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but again, notice the sort of brag that he does is immediately tempered, right? Lesser men with spades might have served you better, right? That's um, the humor of that, right? Like you'd... Uh, um, lesser men, by the way, when he says lesser, um, I don't think he's talking about class, you know, like social class or something like that. He literally just means small, like smaller. You know, to be a doughty man is to be, uh, is to be, you know, strong and well thewed. A lesser man, yeah, exactly, Emily. I don't think he means an unnumenorian, uh, like you know, one of the low men, uh, to use Faramir's words or something like that. Um, I think that's exactly what he's not saying when he says, "Though lesser men," I believe he means, yeah, I d not a man of non-Numenorean stock. That's exactly what I believe him not to be saying. He is using the word lesser perfectly literally here. Um, a, uh, a, a smaller, scrawnier man with a shovel would have probably done a better job than we were able to do. Um, the word less and lesser were often um, used in older times, used quite literally. Um, for instance, uh, you may have, if you know, um, some of you might have come across the reference in uh, early history of the early Christian church uh, to the saint James the Less, um, which doesn't mean James who was less important than the other James. James the Less literally just means James the Short. Like, he wasn't, wasn't big. Um, it's kind of like Forlong the Fat. Um, it was a very literal descriptor of him. He was apparently a short dude. Um, but um, anyway, like, uh, lesser men doesn't mean less worthy, less important, less significant, uh, lower on the social totem pole uh, of a lesser genealogy. It just means smaller. Um, less doughty. That's entirely what he is talking about here. Um, and again, so notice um, notice the, the, the way in which that particular joke um, sort of comically undermines exactly like the least of rings. Yes. Not the le least important or the, um, you know, the one that uh, uh, you know, can't um, hold its head up at parties or something like that, Jack, right? It's uh, uh, the least of rings, meaning that this, the smallest, the least powerful. Um, lesser time spent in the gym. <laughs> exactly, Graham. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyhow, so... Um, but again, notice how his humor works. His... His joke, so he, you know, he puffs them up, right? Doughty men too, if I may say it, right? The if I may say it is a, a sort of a classic sort of humble brag move, right? Um, uh, and then he immediately brings up this visual image, right? Of, you know, shorter, scrawny dudes with shovels who probably would have done an even better job than them, right? So he's not, 
he doesn't by 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 inviting them to picture that right by kind of poking fun even at his own accomplishment right what we just accomplished was amazing but really not quite as good as you know any idiot with a shovel could do right um but you know we did the best we could and darn it but we made a path all the way right um uh so yeah it's it is um i i i i bjorning i agree i don't think he is arrogant here at all um I not even I don't even think he's being a little bit arrogant, um, even in the extent to which he is bragging, essentially, um, he is doing so. And I agree with you, um, Bjorning, um, he's doing so in order to build hope, right, to raise uh, to raise the hopes, to raise the spirits of those who have been. Remember, an hour Gimli and the hobbits and Gandalf have been sitting for an hour waiting for them to come back and not knowing if they're still dead or alive or if they would succeed in being able to make a path out for everybody. And here's Boromir's triumphant return and saying, essentially, don't worry, we got this. We're going to be able to escape. And it would have been totally excusable for him just to brag. For him just to say, and you have us to thank for that, right? Um, I mean, what they did was really impressive. Um, but that's not what he says, right? Instead, he makes a joke at his own expense. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> having a shovel would have been, we'd have done an even better job if we'd had shovels, right? Um you know, even somebody less, you know, impressively heroic than us would have done a better job without, you know, with a shovel. Still, we have thrust Elaine through the drift, and for that, all here may be grateful who cannot run as light as elves. Um, we can escape. So, And that, I think, is there he's teasing Legolas, right? Um, he's teasing Legolas, and I think he's teasing him. I think that that is... Return fire to Legolas for the little wave as he ran by, right? The way in which Legolas was trolling Boromir and Aragorn there as they were burrowing their way through the snow. And now, when he gets back, Boromir trolls Legolas, right? Um, yeah, so uh, there's our elf running lightly to and forth on top of the snow... But that didn't do you guys any good, did it? Right? Fortunately, everybody here who can't, you know, scamper around on the snow like Legolas, you know, uh, may be grateful that we have in fact succeeded in thrusting Elaine through the drift. Um, yeah, it is almost, almost hobbitry that he is that he is doing, and I think especially as directed towards Legolas, I think it is. I think it is right. The implication, just the hint that Legolas is impressive running on top of the snow is kind of showy and useless, right? There's just... Do you hear that? I, at least that, that's what I hear there. Just a little hint of teasing, which actually suggests to me that, um, that this moment has been a kind of bonding experience for Legolas and Boromir, right? That Boromir is, I think, relating to Legolas a little differently um, than 
we've seen him do before. So while at the same time, I think he's kind of teasing Legolas back for teasing him by, you know, that little wave over his shoulder as he runs past. Um, so too here, he is taking credit for this. But remember, they've, they've been spending an hour. They, they've spent the last hour together. Legolas has been working with them, helping them, guiding them. Um, I don't doubt that Bormir's pretty grateful for Legolas, and that Legolas has in fact contributed to help in a fairly significant way, if only by being able to reassure them that if they can just make it over this hill of snow that they're seeing in front of them, um, that that's all that they need to do. It was a team-building exercise, Valori. I think that's exactly right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that this tone of that there is, I believe a tone of camaraderie here between him and Legolas, I mean. And even by implication with the rest of them as well. I, again, the way that he's engaging with Gimli uh, and Gimli's uh, sort of beliefs about Karathras, the way that he is diffusing the anxiety attached to that without calling, you know, Gimli's beliefs or tradition uh, traditions into account. All of these things, I think, are really constructive signs. Um, Pippin um, is the one to speak up, of course. But how are we to get down there? Even if you have cut through the drift. Okay, great. So you can escape. That's great to hear. But they're looking at this path through the snow. They can't. Again, especially new fallen powder. All the path through the snow is going to look like when they've gone that way and back is like a place where the snow is like a little bit disturbed. I mean, I have to imagine it's cold enough that the snow isn't melting, like that it's not, you know, getting wetter. Basically, it's probably still powder, in which case you've got like a trail of slightly displaced powder, which is still going to be even on the trail itself is still going to be over the heads of the hobbits, I'm sure. Um to them, they would still have to burrow to get down. Um, it is not like it is just creating a path through the snow, which now the hobbits and everybody else um, can really uh, can really walk through. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Um, thank you, Bjorning. I did miss that. Um, Almarea was pointing out before that, you know, is, is the Hobbit's part in this to increase fellowship, as seen by the kind of hobbitry-adjacent joshing we see from Legolas and Boromir? Does the fellowship, in a sense, grow out of the Hobbits and their hobbitry? I've never thought about it that way before. And I will also add that it's hard to answer that question, in part because we're getting this entire narrative through the Hobbit filter, right? So... Um, whether or not the hobbits are in fact setting the tone uh, for the fellowship as a whole, the account of the company's journey would almost certainly bear a kind of hobbit bias, right? A kind of hobbit tone to it because the story is being told by the hobbits, right? Um, so in my mind, that makes it a little bit difficult to figure out, um, it makes it a little bit difficult to figure out kind of what it means, you know, whether, um, uh, 
the extent to which their influence really is actively kind of permeating the um, uh, the company in that sense. Exactly, Silk Westcott, that's just it. The hobbits would remember the jests better and might even kind of recast it a little bit in that way, right? Like, I could easily imagine a hobbit narrator, um, and there's no reason to think that even eyewitnesses like Frodo and Sam would, you know, remember word for word every conversation that was happening. Not that we've heard every conversation, of course, but um, but I can easily imagine that the two of them uh, might have been reflecting on a moment like this, and what they remember is the fellowship, right? What they remember is the camaraderie between people. And so they want to convey that camaraderie. So how do they do it? They make them express camaraderie in the way that hobbits would express camaraderie had they all been hobbits, right? And remember, the book is being written not only by hobbits, but also primarily for hobbits, right? And no, Bob, we still haven't heard the word fellowship yet. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, yeah, they're the company. That's that's what they've been called. In so much as they have a team name, um, the company is what they are is what they've been called. Uh, but in any case, um, so yeah. So as I say, these things make it hard to to, to determine whether or not uh, the hobbits actually are influencing them. But I don't think it's impossible that there is a genuine objective effect there. And the primary reason I think it not impossible is that Gandalf certainly echoes it himself, right? Um, Gandalf, the freedom with which Gandalf also responds to them uh, with a particularly harsh kind of subspecies of hobbitry um, makes me think that... uh, it's more likely that... Because remember, that's now five out of the nine of them, right? Um, and we know that Aragorn is um, hobbitry inclined, but he's hobbitry challenged, right? So Aragorn uh, might might try. doesn't try very often, and when he does, it's not very successful. But, um, but anyway, you know, he's obviously not against it. And so that basically leaves Legolas, Gimli, and, and Boromir. Um, and so it's very possible. Um, it's very possible that they uh, that they could um, be, you know, adapting themselves to uh, uh, to this whole spirit, right? Um, <laughs> I agree. Uh, Aragorn's a little hobbitry deficient, JJ. I think that's probably that's probably true. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, Pippin. Pippin is the one to speak up. Um, voicing the thought of all the hobbits. This is one of the things which is most characteristic of Pippin, right? Pippin will say the thing that other people don't want to say, right? Um, Pippin just doesn't have nearly as much exactly Madagascar, just what I was saying, not as much filter, uh, as other people have. Right. Um, how are we to get down there? Even if you have cut through the, how are we to get down there? Um, even if you have cut through the drift, 
Um, so you say you've made a way out. Well, we can't get to it. So what are we supposed to do? Um, now, Pippin here is not he's not sassing him. He's not challenging him. Right. His his. You could imagine I can imagine this um, uh, as Pippin. Sounding, I mean, you, you, again, if we were um, if we were making a movie and just using this as a script, which, by the way, horrible idea. But if we were doing that, you could direct the Pippin actor uh, to sound despairing, despondent. How are we to get down there? Even if you have cut through the drift, right? I mean, like he could be very low spirited potentially while saying this. You could also make it sound much more sassy, right? Right? But how are we to get down there? Even if you have cut through the drift, right? Like, you, you know, that even with like a hint of doubt or question in the second half of the question, right? Um, and I think it's probably neither one. Now, that's an interesting suggestion, Matt, that you were just uh, making, that, um, that it's possible that Pippin is himself showing a kind of leadership here, um, speaking up on behalf of the rest of the hobbits, which would be a kind of a tookish thing to do. It is easy to forget that, Matt. I think it's well worth remembering. That is, it's easy to think of Pippin the way that Gandalf seemed to think of him briefly, right? Um, or, sorry, Elrond primarily in the scene that I'm thinking of. That is the desire to leave him behind. Um, because he's the youngest, right? Substantially younger. I mean, remember, Pippin is barely... He's just over half of Frodo's age. Frodo is almost twice Pippin's age. Um, Pippin is, what, 28 years old? Frodo is 50. Um, so Pippin is way, way, way younger. He is the little brother. He is, like, the junior nephew of the group. Um, he's not even, he can't even vote yet, right? Like, he's not even, he's not even a grown-up. Um, and, and so it's easy to think of Pippin that way just as the wild card, as the teenager, right? As the, uh, as the kid. But as Matt DeForest was pointing out just a second ago, I have to remember, he's also a Took. He's the son of the Thane and from the ruling family. Um, for a Took to take charge, to even feel some kind of leadership responsibility is not strange, right? It's not, it's not unusual. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, I, I, I think it's an interesting possibility. I mean, it seems to me that Pippin. Um, it seems to me that Pippin very much sees Frodo as the leader of their expedition, um, and I think we've seen plenty of evidence that Pippin's Pippin's mind isn't there yet. Right? Um, he doesn't. Um, I don't think he thinks of himself that way. Um, and I think there's some evidence that we've already seen and there's more evidence that we're going to see. One passage that immediately jumps to mind is the, um, oh, that was poetry uh, line, right, from Crick Hollow way back when. That is to say, here was Pippin indulging 
in the idea, the fantasy of an adventure like Bilbo's adventure. Um, but when it came time to face the reality of departing by break of, you know, uh, uh, be, you know, of must awaying air break of day, um, he like hadn't really thought about the reality of that situation. Right. And wasn't actually prepared for it. Um, and there have been other times, I think, where we've seen a similar kind of attitude from Pippin, um, where he is so where he's not really taking responsibility for things yet. So I'd be a little surprised if Pippin were at this stage yet really thinking in that way. Um, we are going to see it, as several of you were pointing out um, in particular, Bjorning uh, was just talking about his sense of responsibility coming out when he swears fealty to Gondor later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he does step forward on occasion, Matt. I agree. Though, again, I wonder... I'm doubtful as to how much of his putting himself forward is... Lack of filter might be too strong, but basically... Um, his impetuousness, let me say, rather than his responsibility, right? Or his, um, uh, a sort of a leadership move. Um, but nevertheless, even, even if he's not trying to take charge, even if he's not deliberately stepping into, you know, consciously stepping into a leadership role, there's still an important role that he plays here, and that I think he might suspect that he plays this role. That is like, he's not, I don't think it's just that he's doing this unconsciously uh, or something. And that is that he's the one who's willing to say what everybody's thinking. Um, and if you think about it, Frodo, there's some things Frodo can't say. It's almost like an extension of what we've been saying with Sam. How when Sam grumbles, he's often giving voice to something that Frodo can't himself say. Um, Pippin plays a similar role, and yet I think his role is a little more public-facing. Sam's always grumbling quietly. Um, very few people overhear Sam's grumbles, it seems, at least the ones that we've been seeing so far. Um, Pippin is the one to cut loose with things that they all want to say, but nobody else seems willing to actually to actually say. Now, Aird, I agree. He's suggesting they carry him without suggesting it. Um, yes, in a sense. Um, there is a little bit of a sort of a challenge here, right? Like, or at least pointing out, um, at least pointing out um, that uh, your heroic work up there, O oh, doughty Boromir, is not done, right? You've not... Um, you, you you might be teasing Legolas for the fact that Legolas is running, you know, scampering around on the snow isn't helping. Uh, in fact, the situation... Have you, in fact, helped? Like, not saying what you've done isn't hasn't been impressive, but um, this battle is not won yet, right? There's no way we are... Um, uh, we are escaping through that. Um... Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Bjarnason, um, 
I gave an excellent talk at uh, at Textboot. Um, says Sam has the working class grumble quietly because there's nothing you can do about it attitude. Pippin has the upper class grumble audibly about things in case someone can fix them attitude. Um, yeah, yeah, and I do agree, Dizzy. Pippin, as the youngest, can speak freely without the group judging him, and that's particularly true of Frodo, isn't it? Um, that for, if Frodo said, Frodo's the ring bearer. He's the center of the whole thing. If he expresses doubt, if he expresses, um, you know, if he gives voice to, you know, doubt or despair, it's a big deal. Frodo has this different kind of leadership responsibility. He's not the leader of the crew, right? He's not the guide, um, so he's not physically leading them. He's not the decision maker, necessarily, in the group. Um, but he is the center. He is the focal point of the entire company. And so he se and he seems to feel the sense of responsibility with that. Um, so yeah, to some extent, Pippin is helping by stepping forward and voicing the thought of all the hobbits. If Frodo were to say it, um, it would it would be different, right? It would come out quite differently. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Have hope, said Boromir. Which, I agree with what Bjorning was saying earlier, um, I think his, you know, have hope, exclamation point, um, is a pretty good note version of his entire previous paragraph. Right. Um, have hope is exactly what he has come back to say. Have hope. I am weary, but I still have some strength left and Aragorn, too. Um, again, look at how he is on the one hand. Boasting, though the whole premise of his boast about his own strength um, is to reassure others. Right. Um, uh, I. I still. I can make it down again. I've made it through the snow one time. I can make it down at least one more time, right? Um, right. Bravado in service of the company's need. This is, there's, this is why you should have hope. You should have hope because I still have some strength left in Aragorn too. But he's not just bragging. You know, he's not just saying, um, uh, have hope. You know, I'm the dowdiest around, right? I, you know, I've barely even begun, right? I mean, he could try to talk big like that, but he doesn't. I am weary, he admits openly. I'm sure he looks weary. I'm sure he looks weary, not to mention soaked. Um, but I still have some strength left. That's quite a modest both, boast, right? I am, I am weary, but I'm not quite completely exhausted yet. And then he adds Aragorn, and Aragorn too, right? It's, it's not just me. We both, we both have that. And so, yes, I agree. It is explicitly Amdir that he is bringing up. By the way, on the subject of boasting, um, don't forget Tolkien's favorite books. Um, listen to Beowulf talking about himself at some point, right? The entire concept of boasting the entire definition of what it means to be arrogant 
or to express arrogance. We have to be very careful because it's a, this is a, a place in which we are very likely to impose our own modern, even not just like uh, 20th century, but 21st century um, values upon this. Um, uh, yes, exactly. Bjarne Sonner, boasting is very, very different in Protestant European culture than it is in other cultures, including other European cultures. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's not just, it's not boasting if you can back it up, right? But again, let's just, um, you know, read the scene when Beowulf shows up at Hrothgar's hall. Um, Beowulf is confident, there's um, abundant self-assurance in Beowulf, um, who is not at all shy and sees absolutely no reason to be shy about relating his mighty deeds and telling everybody about the amazing things that he has accomplished um, and can accomplish and is prepared to accomplish. And of course... In that case, in that situation, the situation, remember, is that Beowulf has come to Hrothgar's hall because he's planning to destroy the monster who has been troubling them, whom nobody has been able to defeat, right? There is this monster that is putting all of the, you know, is, is terrorizing the Danes and which none of the Danes are powerful enough to stand up to. But I can. I'm pretty sure I can do it. His showing up is a boast, a significant boast, even from some perspectives, an offensive boast. Oh, I hear you're having a little monster problem here to take care of that for you. Right. Um, I mean, it's. Uh, but he is not at all ill received by Hrothgar. Hrothgar does not feel insulted by Beowulf showing up. Um uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, exactly. It's people are comparing it to him presenting his resume pretty much. Yeah. Now, uh, Boromir's not exactly doing that here, but I just want to emphasize Boromir is strong. Boromir is brave. And, um, I don't see any reason that Boromir would believe it was part of virtue to deny that or to pretend it wasn't so. Even what we see him doing shows he's not trying to make it all about himself. He's not, he's, he's, you know, we, we've been watching his humility. We've been watching how he has been standing on his tongue. Uh, to not put himself forward, to not usurp the position of leadership and authority in this company, even when you know, not you know, he didn't wasn't saying anything, but uh, some maybe better leadership could have been needed here, right? Um, uh, it's just the dynamics are quite different, and within the context of those dynamics, um, saying what he does. And doughty men too, and adding, if I may say it, if I may say it, that's a, a very humble addition, right? Why shouldn't he say it? 
though lesser men with spades might have served you better. Well, that is both. That is a comically self-deprecating acknowledgement you just made, right? Um, starting with "I am weary," but is I mean, you didn't have to admit that you were weary. Um, he could have just led with "Have hope." I still have strength. We will bear the little folk. You know, I will bear the little folk. He could have said that, like, right? I mean, that would have been perfectly legit. In some, maybe you might think that might even be a way to inspire more confidence, especially if you, you know, were running for company leader, right? Um, vote Boromir if you want decisive and generous leadership who will not lead you into snowdrifts, but rather over snowdrifts. Um, but he's not doing that, right? He doesn't put himself forward in that way. He doesn't invite them to look at him in that way. He leads with his weariness, emphasizes that he has strength, but downplays how much strength he has left and includes Aragorn as well. And then twice, twice in a row. And Aragorn too, we will bear the little, not I, Right. You know, he doesn't try to make this sound like a heroic deed he's going to accomplish. Um, he's. He says we are going to bear the little folk, and I agree. Um, I agree, Aiden. This sounds better to me in the end uh, by acknowledging his actual limits. It's more believable when he says he's not at them yet. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. Um, the others, no doubt, will make shift to tread the path behind us. Think you can handle it, Gandalf, right? Um, who are the others? Gandalf, Gimli, and Bill the Pony, right? We will bear the little folk. Come, Master Peregrine, I will begin with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, come, Master Peregrine, I will begin with you. The, the kind of... Um, charming acknowledgement. Again, Pippin's statement could have been challenging. Could even have been deflating to Boromir. Right? Oh man, not only did I have to make it all the way down, but then I come now I've got to, I've got to, now I'm the, now I'm the ferry service? Right? Now I've got to shuttle all these, you know, but man, my work has barely begun here with this snow swimming that I'm doing. Right? Um, instead of himself being discouraged at all, instead of him uh, you know, being in any way offended or put off by Peregrine's speech, which might have been seen as cheeky, right, on uh, on Boromir's part. Um, instead, he says, Come, Master Peregrine, I'll begin with you. Um, since you put yourself forward, you will be the first to go. Um, and woe by agree, Boromir surely has heard how Gandalf talks to Pippin by now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, Master Peregrine. Yeah. That I... St I believe... I've been thinking about this. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true that Master is often used, like, diminutively of... of, of, of uh, as you say, Lincoln. Uh, no, wait, not Lincoln. Where was it? Um, yeah, Valora, yeah, the eldest son who is not of age. But I don't see, that's, I, 
I don't see master being used that way. Um, who's called master? Elrond is called master. Master Elrond. Um, Tom Bombadil is called master. Um, uh, master seems to be used uh, in a complementary sense, not in a uh, even even in the sense when um, Bilbo is said to use it. Right. Uh, the fact that Bilbo calls the gaffer Master Hamfast is not a sign of patronizing affection on Bilbo's part. Um, it's a sign of respect. Like he refers to him as if he himself, um, that is, as if the gaffer were himself to be, you know, someone to whom Bilbo ought to direct respect. Um, uh, Yes, will you be wanting anything to drink, masters? Or good evening, little masters, uh, says um, uh, says Butterbur. Um, and that is clearly, he is being polite, not knowing who they are, right? Um, so, yeah, I believe that the vast majority of times the word master is used as a title in this way, in this book. It seems to be used of someone to whom respect is genuinely belonging. Um, and I would be cautious, of course, you know, thinking about how expressions like that are used outside of the book in British culture, for instance, or in, you know, contemporary to Tolkien or, or immediately prior to Tolkien, um, within his culture, it, that's relevant. It's relevant to remember, but an important rule of interpretation the usage inside the text always matters most. Like first, first, always, always first, look at how it's used inside the text. And only then, if it's ambiguous, if it's uncertain, then you can maybe appeal to outside standards like that to, you know, break a tie or to uh, shed light on something doubtful or uncertain. Um, but if you can, if you can detect a clear pattern of how a word like or a word or a title or, uh, or something like that is being used within the text, then it doesn't matter. Even if that's in contradiction to what is outside, then you have to, you have to go with it, right? You can't impose the thing you can never let yourself do is impose the meaning of a word or expression from outside the book upon the text in defiance of the usage of the, like to insist on that in defiance of the patterns of usage. Um, uh, in inside the text, um, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. Mister is used. Um, Sam calls him Mister Frodo, um, which seems to reflect their master-servant relationship. Um, the fact that he doesn't. He calls him master, like he refers to him as master, but he doesn't use it as a title. He doesn't call him master Frodo. Um, and that's interesting, right? That's an interesting pattern to, 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 to see and to look at. But again, we have enough times in which um, uh, there are enough times in which that is used as a title like this. So I think Boromir's usage here, he's not treating Pippin like a child he's, even though kind of is, like in the sense that he's not fully grown, um, or at least he's not legally of age yet. Um, he, um, 
Come, Master Peregrine, I think is um, uh, designed to be formal. Um, I think he's saying that uh, is Master. Yeah, it is. It's it's Master Elrond. Yeah, um, uh, Elrond is called Master in this in the same way. Um, yeah, is it used as a title with Tom Bombadil? I know he's called Master, of course, all over the place, um, including in direct address from Frodo. Did you hear us coming, Master, or was it only chance? Um, uh, Tom, of course, does use it of himself. I'm sorry to take leave of Master Bombadil. Thanks. I thought there was one, but I wasn't coming up with it, JJ. Thank you. I'm sorry to take leave of Master Bombadil. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Master Bombadil, Master Elrond. Those are the two I can think of off the top of my head that are definite usages in this sense as a title. Um, why Peregrine and not Pippin? The formality of it. I mean, using the title is formal also, right? Um, it isn't just what title he gives him by calling him Master, right? Um, but how but that he deploys it and even uses uses his full name. I, I don't... Do they all call him Peregrine? Is it only the other hobbits who call him by his nickname, Pippin? Um, are Gimli and Aragorn and everybody else referring to him as Peregrine the whole time? Right? I, I, I don't know. I don't think we've... This is the first time I think we've seen Pippin be addressed directly by name, you know, by a, by a non-hobbit. In this, in this, uh, in this kind of way, um, but um, in any case, in our experience, um, that is, as we're reading this paragraph, we have the juxtaposition between the narrators just called him Pippin in the previous paragraph, so it stands out to us. Um, whether or not, maybe this is how Boromir talks to him all the time, right? We don't know that for sure. But however that may be, in our ears, this necessarily sounds formal. Come, Master Peregrine, right? Um, both halves of that sound formal. Master and Peregrine uh, sound formal. I will begin with you. Um... We will bear the little folk. He lifted up the hobbit. Cling to my back. I shall need my arms, he said, and strode forward. Um, I do think there's a little irony in the formality of Bjorn Sonar. I, I think there's hobbitry here. I think he's teasing him. I think he's teasing him and reassuring him. I think that having first directed his, um, you know, uh, beginning hobbitry at Legolas earlier on, Boromir is now teasing Pippin. Um, you were the one who spoke up, right? You were the one expressing doubts? Then fine. I'll begin with you. Um, Cling to my back. I shall need my arms, he said, and strode forward. Um, Aragorn with Mary comes behind. By the way, um, well, we'll talk about that next time. Um, and then we get the Pippin perspective for the neck for the last two sentences. Pippin marveling at his strength, seeing the passage he had already forced with no tool, no other tool than his great limbs. Um, 
Pippin is treated to a first-hand view of, you know, Boromir's doubtiness, right? Marveling at his strength. Um, having just complained that the path through the snow wasn't going to do them much good, right? He is now not only seeing the path, um, being in a position to imagine, to feel, physically feel Boromir's muscles working uh, and to know how much effort he's having to put forth. He is marveling at his strength, seeing the passage. And then noting on top of that, it's not just that he did this once before, but that even now, while he's carrying Pippin on his back, he's widening the track for those who followed. Um, he is still thinking of others before himself. He's not just, he could be excused for being like, I, I'm carrying a passenger. I've just got to, you know, it's selfless enough just to get him through, right? But but it's not uh, selfless enough for Boromir, right? Um, yeah, Boromir is six foot four. So he is, um, Pippin can't be more than, uh, let's see, wait, how, how tall is Pippin? Well, yeah. The, the height he says to Burgo is probably inaccurate, um, but um, I presume the height that he gives to Pippin is... Uh, I doubt he's measured himself since he was in Fangorn again. So um, uh, how tall does he think he is, Pippin? It's probably... The, the height that he says to Burgo is probably the height he was when they left the Shire, I would assume. Again, I don't think he's been tracking the fact that he's taller now. Um, uh, three foot four, right? There you go. Oh, wait, is that what he says? Uh, I'm three foot four. I, I know he gives his exact height to Burgill, but I'm, I'm forgetting. I, I don't want to uh, mis, uh, misstate it. Um, somebody can look it up. Um, but um, uh, anyhow, um, oh, sorry, you were guessing? Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't remember. Um, yeah, it's eluding me. I'm not remembering the quotation there from that uh, from that passage. Um, but in any case, yeah, I feel, uh, if he, so if he's, if he's three foot two or less, then he is exactly half of Boromir's, Boromir's height. Um, Dizzy, what a wonderful thing. I would not, I had not been making that connection at all. Um, although I am, but four foot, okay, he's four feet tall. He's four feet tall. Um, and not likely to grow any more, he says, not realizing that he's probably already grown more since he said that. Okay, so he's more than half. He's more than half. He's um, he's almost a two-thirdsling, actually. Um, but, um, yeah, there we go. Um, okay, so... Okay, what else is I going to add? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Dizzy. I was going to come back to your point, which I think is wonderful. And Dizzy, I don't think I've ever really thought about that before. But that's lovely. Um, compare this later with being carried on the back of an orc. Um, yes, the idea of Marion Pippin, of Pippin especially, getting this Pippin perspective of being carried uh, on Boromir's back. Notice also, Dizzy, the... Um, the um, the contrast from them being tied up and slung over the shoulders of the uh, of the orcs with their faces pressed against the, the nasty rough skin of the orcs and all that right um, to hear his own will being you know cling to my back right he is 
with his own strength, Pippin with his own strength, holding on to Boromir so that Boromir's arms can be free to continue widening the path. Um, it is... Uh, now, of course, this one comes first, right? So it's not that this is designed to be contrasting to that. This is instead the preparation which is going to get payoff in that moment, right? When they're being... Uh, uh, when they're being captured and hauled across, you know, being orc dragged across across Rohan, um, yeah, yeah. Um, there we go. Thank you, trifle. Bullroar took was four foot five, um, so that's about what Merry and Pippin end up with. That's why I'm pretty sure he's probably taller than four feet by the time he gets to Gondor, but he doesn't realize it yet, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> Good. Anyway. And yes, Nancy, of course, is remembering that the the point of connection, right? Uh, the point of connection between uh, you know, like w- what leads immediately up to Pippin being carried on the back of an orc instead of on the back of Boromir is Boromir sacrificing his life, trying to rescue him, trying to rescue Pippin, right? So having just seen Boromir trying to protect them and then watched Boromir die... Now, this moment of being rescued by Boromir and clinging to Boromir's back is going to be recapitulated, right, by Pippin, for Pippin, in Pippin's experience, but horribly twisted, right, horribly contrasted. Um, the, or- the orcs are pretty doughty, too, but um, that's uh, not helpful. Um, anyway... Um, yeah. But yes, this little glimpse, we're not going to get a whole lot of Pippin point of view until we get to chapter three of book four. Um, but these two sentences, we get a glimpse of it, right? A little report from Pippin um, as he is caught up being already the spokesperson of the hobbits, right? Um, as he was just a couple paragraphs up there. And now he is the point of view of the hobbits and helping us to understand their experience. Um <laughs> JJ says that lesser orcs with spades might have captured them better. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. All right. Okay. Uh, it's it's getting late. So um uh we should stop now. We did get through a slide our uh, um what's the word for the one before the antepenultimate slide? But anyway, we're 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 getting towards the end of the chapter here. Um uh, as the hobbits are escaping, we will look at the logistical issues next time as we try to get everybody else uh, to escape. Um, so uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, field trip time for those of you who can join us for the field trip. Otherwise, uh, thanks very much for coming. Should be back again next week, I hope. Um, so I should be a, a nice little stretch of uninterrupted Tuesdays here, I believe. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Valori, good evening. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Okay. Am I coming through okay? You are. You are. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Okay. So yeah, no, I was suddenly just struck with the the uh, realization that this is this is how I carry my six year old up the driveway every afternoon when I get her off the bus. Yeah, yeah. Because she usually falls asleep on the bus and she's just barely stumbling down those stairs, so I usually give her a piggyback ride all the way up there. And... Uh huh. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it through the snow or ice or anything like it for me if it does. It's tricky. 
but it's also you, you do tend to you do tend to always say every time but like, oh pippin's being sassy he's being sassy again you go no he's not being sassy this time i i feel like you know he can do both i feel like because that's that's very much a, um just a communication style of certain people that when they want to mm -hmm. bring up something they have to phrase it as a joke because otherwise they they feel like they're 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 making too much of something or they're trying to lighten the mood and Pippin, as you can kind of tell, he's kind of, everyone's still kind of awkward around each other. This is a great team building exercise. You can see the camaraderie really grow after this instance with them. Yes, I but agree. But right now, they're, they're just getting over kind of being stilted and, and awful and terrible when you're camping. Like, <laughs> you, you think right. about just how exposed you are to everybody. There's no privacy. Everyone sees you at your worst moments and most disgusting moments. It's really kind of awful so right. like the fact that they're finally making jokes with each other and stuff you can tell that pippin still felt a little awkward around Bormir. it's probably going to be completely over after this instance yeah i think best buddies after this i think but, so i mean they've been traveling already for a while it's a couple weeks right that they've been traveling but i but I, it's, I agree it's windy to talk <laughs> right i agree we we have been the, the one other moment that i'm remembering is Remember that moment when they were all sitting around and laughing and having fun until, um, you know, Captain Killjoy came over and told them all to be quiet. Right. When Aragorn comes over and says, you know, that everything yeah. is quiet except for them. So there is some evidence that there that some camaraderie had been building already to that point. But it's important yeah. that we haven't seen it yet. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it's. Um, uh, uh, if we did, if it had important. come earlier, we would have they would have written about it then. Yeah, this feels yeah. like the the excuse the pun the big icebreaker for everybody. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you have to pick an icebreaker, that's uh, that's pretty it was good. Ice. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, all right. We are headed. We um, are still in Sirlon, so we're going back to okay. the city again. So we looked around the city last time. There, right, there was that one area up to the north we wanted to explore, and then we're headed back across, right? Mm-hmm. As we continue our tour of Cardolan. Yes. You know, if we're not careful, um, we're barely going to be ex like finishing exploring these new areas before the next new area comes out. Like We, we, we might not get to explore old all the other older areas um <laughs> yeah so okay yes gondor call that's where i want to head up and look at gondor call briefly and then um and Gond then or call gond or call sounds like that almost sounds like a pun right there yeah yeah okay all right so yeah. we need to i think we can probably I could probably horse here. Okay. Let's head back over the bridge and across. Been to the I think, thick of I, it. think I remember the way. All right. Yeah, how, how sad for Aragorn that even Boromir does hop a tree better than him. So true. <laughs> it's so true. You can be the king, but it doesn't make you a good jokester. Nope. No, Aragorn is just a, he's a pretty serious dude. <laughs> Maybe he tries too hard. 
Yeah. Now I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I think that Boromir has like, or sorry, Aragorn rather has like no sense of humor at all. Or oh something no, like we that. we know he does. He's got a sarcasm you could cut cheese with. Yeah, yeah, he's sarcastic and stuff, and he and he is clearly like sees the amusement and like he is amused by you know by folks. Um, yeah, and he can be cheerful and jovial like the rest of them. Right, but yeah, but it's just. It's just the hobbitry thing, you know. It's just yeah, yeah. The teasing and the giving each other a hard time that he just and it's it's so funny care. that for being Tolkien's hero, that Tolkien did not give him the gift that he is most known for. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what we're, where we're going? <laughs> or maybe Tolkien thought that heroes shouldn't be quite so as unserious as that. Maybe yeah. that was something he found embarrassing about himself, but he still liked it. Like <laughs> it's it's a great quality of man, but not suitable for heroes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it there are ways in which I think it kind of adds a little bit anyway to Aragorn's stature, you know. Um, but. Um, but but then again, you know, Gandalf has really high stature, and he's, you know, all about the. Hobbit. He's the grumpy old dude, though. Even though, even yeah. though we know how old Aragorn is, we're not supposed to think of him as the grumpy old man. That's true. That's true. Oh man. Okay. So hang on. From a distance, what do we have here? All right. We have uh, a burial ground. We've got a series of very ancient obelisks and barrows, which mm-hmm. even from here look like they are like the date of the old stuff in the Barrow Downs. We've yeah. got a single obelisk in the center, which is about 80 times as fancy as all the rest of them. Um, yeah. And then we've got these buildings or walls. Did they build a wall around it? Um so that so they didn't this is not only an ancient burial ground that the Cartilingians decided we need to put this new you know keystone on the arch here right we need to put this new fancy obelisk in the middle um and otherwise leave the old burial ground undisturbed um but instead but in addition rather you've got this but what is it did they wall it did they actually build a, a circular wall around this little mound hill? This this barrow hill? It almost looks yeah. like maybe they did. Um, keep which, things in or keep things out? Oh Yeah, yeah who knows, right? Um, but, um... Yeah, Sometimes let's see. dead is better. <laughs> oh, let's see. No, this looks like it was a building. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this well, is yeah, there's a some stairs up there. Yeah, like maybe this was enclosed or something, or part partially enclosed, like no, a cloister, no, cloister I, no, colonnade or something. I think these were buildings. I think maybe they built like freestanding tombs down around here, around yeah, the edges. Yeah, because this, this has is much been bigger. here a while. You can tell. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we have the the corpse in the fetal position again. I'm not seeing any signs of 
that like I'm not seeing any of the towers, the Cardolan towers, which would suggest the second era of Cardolan here, the Civil War. Oh, no, big shiny one here. Yeah, and so here's another. Yeah, these are clearly all buildings. So they didn't put a wall around this hill. They, um, the people of old Cardolan, that is the people of old Arnor, who lived here and presumably built that city, as we saw during uh -huh. that time, built these buildings, which I could imagine to be tombs or mausoleums, around yeah, the outskirts. Yeah, they look a bit. Yeah, they look a bit like the mausoleum tombs. Used to be here. Yeah, I think that's very possible. So, so they find this old barrow ground, right, which is clearly very old, uh -huh. and they build tombs here, but they don't disturb anything. They don't build on the in the. They don't put them in the barrows. It would seem, though we don't, I suppose, have perfect confirmation. Well, except of that. for the big spire on top. Well, I'm getting to that. Um, oh, okay. It was kind of yeah, kind of jarring. Right, but that's the so the, this is the one exception. The one exception is that they put this whole um, who's who's the okay, it's just a corpse, it's a quest corpse there, okay, or is it a, just a loot corpse? Not the quest corpse, it looks uh, like a quest corpse. I'm checking it out, it is loot, loot, loot corpse, okay, yep, passing, don't care. All right, um, well, there's a hmm. couple of those couple of corpses all over the place. Oh, there's a lot of un, un, you know, unrestful dead around here. Yeah. The red flowers particularly make this very grim looking, like a hill of blood. Yes. Yes, the field is covered with blood. Um, like a perversion of Flanders Field. These decorations. I mean, the like the gilt inlay on the obelisk here yeah we've seen elven. nothing like it does look elvish like we've seen nothing like this the the f neither we i don't recall ever having seen a fluted obelisk like this um yeah, we haven't even like seen many fluted columns there's a star shape almost if you, if, if you look up there's that it, it could almost, like, yeah. if you looked at it from above, it would be a star shape. It's clearly a star shape. How many points does it Maybe have? Maybe the elves built this for the men who were first here. I think it's a seven-pointed star, too. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe they... Or is it an eight-pointed star? Present a long time ago. Yeah, it could be eight. Not sure. I think it's an eight-pointed star. But it's got this vine motif at the bottom, which we only see in men's structures. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's got the... Um, uh, what um, is it? The, the Oyolose on the bottom. No, the Oyolose uh -huh. is the mountain. What's it called? Yeah. Oyolire. Um, but the, the stone and the pedestal is much older than the spire. It does look that way, for sure. It does look that way. So, okay. Therefore, the... The men of old Arnor build their tombs around this hill, mm -hmm. but they don't disturb the hill, except for the very top of the hill, on which they put a huge old gazebo floor, mm -hmm. artichokes and all, mm -hmm. 
and then erect this column. The base of the column looks quite old. Yes. But then the column that's up above it, it either looks new or newer or because of its materials is far better preserved than the rest of it, which is possible. Or elven craft, which or if it's elven, elven then the craft yeah. itself would just make it better. It is possible. It is possible. Um, could be a gift from the elves, Amathorn. I mean, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking, like, maybe some kind of diplomacy exchange thing, you know. Possibly. Please accept this token elves. of our friendship. Maybe. I mean, maybe the elves of Rivendell, but... Um... Well, the design looks like the, the party-age elves that we've seen. It does. A lot. The whole gold, gilt inlay thing looks like that. Uh -huh. I agree. Ooh, look up at the top. The topmost section. It's like... Are those... Like canopied trees. Do you see? Do you see what I'm seeing? It looks like I, a stem within like a mushroom canopy on top of it. You know, but yeah, it's not. It looks like kind some of, kind of shell, like a seashell. Maybe. It's hard to tell yeah. from this angle. It's like a ginkgo leaf, or like a like a yeah, like some kind of. Uh, yeah, it looks like a seashell to me. Maybe. But, but yeah, they, um, you know, Stunned Duck says, it feels like they started with one plan, left it partially complete for a while, and then came back with a completely different plan later on. Um, well, that's Carl in a nutshell. <laughs> right, exactly. I, and that was kind of my first impulse looking at this, that it was um, the initial concept, the initial platform and base was done by old Arnor. And then this mm -hmm. spire was put on was put on it. You know, the obelisk was raised well, yeah. by the cartilages yeah. I, I, themselves. I, I was going to add, even if it was a gesture of friendship with the elves, you can see it all went pear-shaped pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, we'll have to see if we see any, any evidence of that kind of architecture, the gold inlay thing, anywhere else. Yeah. I don't remember seeing it. Um, no, as far as the relationship the with the dead, that, yeah, well, as far as the relationship with the dead, the, um, the other Cardolan cities that we saw, the first ones that we saw up by, what is it called? Dull Ernil and especially Turn Gorthad, um, mm -hmm. were much more integrated with the old burial grounds, right? Uh, yeah. Um, this one just and, looks like they put a flag on top. Exactly. Um, which leads me to suspect that is the sort of deference with which all of these other buildings are built around the hill rather than on the hill or, you know, mm -hmm. um, integrated with the barrows and graves uh, suggests yeah, that they were that it's again, that's the early sort of more respectful period, I guess, or at least with a different relationship. Um, well, this building here to the east does not look like a mausoleum. This one looks like a structure, like a bigger structure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That and one does look like a slightly they, larger structure. I was right. I said cloistered colonnades. They got cloistered colonnades. Right. Possibly so. You could imagine. <laughs> I mean, maybe even it could have been some kind of cloister. Like maybe it could have been a, um, you know, some kind of monastery or something. Some kind of, you know place of contemplation 
Well, um, I'm not saying they're all around. I'm just saying I saw evidence of cloistered colonnades in the roofs yeah, to the one yeah. big structure here. Yeah, and notice, of course, clearly some act of destruction was done mm -hmm. on top of this hill, I would think. Yeah. Because these steps were part of the ancient structure. Like, this is way pre-Numenorean with the swirlies and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I got that carved, uh, the sort of skeletal soldier in the fetal position, like he's been buried. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so, yeah, so these steps leading up to the top of the hill, there was this ancient stairway, almost like a ritual path up to the yeah. top of the hill. And now it just, there's nothing up here. And then you've got the obelisks all around, right, in this quasi-Stonehengean way, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in the middle was who knows what. Was this a, was this a holy site? Was this a, you know, a, was there a sacrificial altar there or something? You know, we, we, we don't know. But it was the center. Relic. Yeah, the center of the top of this hill was clearly a special and holy spot. And... They paved over it, basically. Or they, they stuck the relic built... inside this god awful column. It's possible. It is a little garish. Or it's it? on the top, maybe. Maybe it's on the top. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But um Sounds like the sort of woo the later Cardalone Cardalone would do. Maybe. Maybe. That's really interesting. Okay, let's um <laughs> No, it's really cultural nice. appropriation. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's see what we see. So next time we'll head over to the South Down. So actually, let's stick where we were because rather than we just have to retrace our steps all the way back through to Karnost anyway. Um, so mm -hmm. next time we can port in on the uh, the east side of the river there in Karnost, and then we can head off. If we could find the path down from there and um, head over towards the in, into the South Downs in that direction there. Okay. Cool cool yeah this one was fun all right yeah no this is neat this is a this is a really interesting cultural puzzle it still seems to me to suggest a different relationship with the burial ground than we saw mm -hmm. in tirn gorthod um but then again we've never seen anything like that obelisk we've so, seen hardly anything elven out here so yeah if it is elven, then it's pretty remarkable i agree yeah all right well i should let folks go since we're so late anyway tonight um but this was uh, this was cool. We will, as I say, we'll continue to the South Downs next time, and continue working our way across Cardinal. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Valori. All right. Thanks. Good night. Good night.